Good morning, and welcome to Overeaters Anonymous, a Vision for You Big Book Study. My name is Amy G, and I am a recovered compulsive overeater from Maryland, currently in Rehoboth Beach, so thank you to you all for joining me at the beach today. Today's date is Wednesday, August 26th, and today we are reading from the Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous in the chapter A Vision for You on page 157, seventh paragraph that starts with these two friends. Today's readers are, and thank you for your service, Anita L., Donna M., Rachel N. M., Katie F., and Devorah S. The reference number for yesterday, Tuesday, August 25th, is, excuse me, August 24th, is 7, I beg your pardon, Tuesday the 25th and Wednesday the 26th. So yesterday's number is 7946. 7946. OA Preamble. Overeaters Anonymous is a fellowship of individuals who, through shared experience, strength, and hope, are recovering from compulsive overeating. We welcome everyone who wants to stop eating compulsively. There are no dues or fees for members. We are self-supporting through our own contributions, neither soliciting nor accepting outside donations. OA is not affiliated with any public or private organization, political movement, ideology, or religious doctrine. We take no position on outside issues. Our primary purpose is to abstain from compulsive eating and compulsive food behaviors and to carry the message of recovery through the 12 steps of OA to those who still suffer. Our sole purpose. OA's fifth tradition states, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. At a Vision for You Big Book study, our message is that people who suffer from compulsive overeating can recover through abstinence and the practice of the 12 steps and 12 traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. I will now ask for Anita L. to read the 12 steps. Go ahead, Anita. Good morning, everybody. This is Anita L. from Philadelphia. The 12 steps. One, we admitted we were powerless over food, that our lives have become unmanageable. Two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Three, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. Four, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Five, admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being, the exact nature of our wrongs. Six, we're entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Seven, humbly asked him to remove our shortcomings. Eight, made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. Nine, made direct amends to such people whenever possible except when to do so would injure them or others. Ten, continued to take personal inventory, and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. Eleven, sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood him, praying only for knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry that out. Twelve, having had a spiritual awakening as the result of these steps, We tried to carry this message to compulsive overeaters and to practice these principles in all our affairs. Thank you, and with that, I pass. Thank you, Anita L. 
I will now ask for Donna M. to read the 12 traditions. Go ahead, Donna. Press star one to unmute. Oh, there you go. Hey, Amy, thanks for your service. Hi, this is Donna M. from Wisconsin, Graceful Compulsive Overeater. Uh, the 12 traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. One, our common welfare should come first. Personal recovery depends upon OA unity. Two, for our group purpose, there is but one ultimate authority, a loving God as he may express himself in our group conscience. Our leaders are but trusted servants they do not govern. Three, the only requirement for OA membership is a desire to stop eating compulsively. Four, each group ought to be autonomous except in matters affecting other groups or OA as a whole. Five, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. Six, an OA group ought never endorse, finance, or lend the OA name to any related facility or outside enterprise, lest problems of money, property, and prestige divert us from our primary purpose. Seven, every OA group ought to be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions. Eight, Overeaters Anonymous should remain forever non-professional, but our service centers may employ special workers. Nine, OA as such ought never be organized, but we may create service boards or committees directly responsible to those they serve. Ten, Overeaters Anonymous has no opinion on outside issues, hence the OA name ought never be drawn into public controversy. Eleven, our public relations policy is based on attraction rather than promotion. We need always maintain personal anonymity at the level of press, radio, films, television, and other public media of communication. And 12, anonymity is a spiritual foundation of all these traditions, ever reminding us to place principles before personalities. Thanks for letting me be of service. I pass. Thank you. Donna M. How our meaning works. Our meaning focuses on the directions for recovery described in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. We read a paragraph or two from the literature, then stop and share on what was read. Anyone can share, but we ask that you keep your sharing to the topic and literature we are discussing and that you keep your share to approximately three minutes. If you go way over, you'll hear me say the word time. Singleness of purpose reminds us to identify as compulsive overeaters only. Our absence requirement for moderators is one year and for readers is six months. There is no absence requirement for sharing on topic. This meeting does request that your sharing be directly linked to what was read. We are sharing what the directions in the big book mean to us. To share, press star 1 to unmute. Once you are done sharing, let us know by saying pass, then press star 1 to mute your phone. In order to have a quiet meeting, everyone's phone except the speakers should be muted. Today we resume our study in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous in the chapter of Vision for You on page 157 starting with the paragraph, These Two Friends Spoke. And I am going to ask for Rachel and M to get us started. Go ahead, Rachel. Good morning, Amy. This is Rachel and M. I'm a thankful, recovered, compulsive overeater and anorexic from Ohio. The two friends spoke of their spiritual experience and told him about the course of action they carried out. He interrupted, I used to be strong for the church, but that won't fit. I've prayed to God on hangover mornings and sworn that I'd never touch another drop, but by 9 o'clock I'd be boiled as an owl. Next day, found the prospect more receptive. 
He had been thinking it over. Maybe you're right, he said. God ought to be able to do anything. Then he added, he sure didn't do much for me when I was trying to fight this booze racket alone. I'm, well, this is still Rachel, and I'm very excited about um, sharing on this paragraph. It's such a, a complex, I think, in many of our minds, how that we could have had faith in God and been religious, perhaps, and not had the power given to us to overcome our eating behaviors. But this explains it so well. And on page 75, when um, it's talking about the fourth step, we pocket our prides, our pride, and illuminate every twist of character, every dark cranny of the past. Once we've taken this step, we can look the world in the eye and be alone in perfect peace and ease. And so we see that it is not God that was the problem and why he didn't answer our prayers, but it was rather it was us and our fear and our pride that we could not ask for help. Yeah, we might have asked God for help in the dark room when we were um, done eating a bag of donuts, but to actually ask a person for help and admit what we had done, um, and admit our selfishnesses that had nothing to do with our food behaviors. Um, I certainly didn't get help until I was able to admit to another human being um, in honesty. And I just um, have found God to be a very merciful God. And I, I no longer have to um, be dishonest. I can be honest um, every day, and as I am honest, I have found that God has done for me what I couldn't do for myself, and that I'm also able to be more useful in the church um, when I'm willing to admit my own weaknesses. And that's all I have to share. I pass. Thank you, Rachel. So who would like to share on that last paragraph? This is Bella. Can I can I share? Okay, so I've got Charles H. I've got Bella. Anybody else? No one else? Vasa O. Jill okay. P. Vasa O. Renata. Jill P. and Renata. Okay, we're going to go with that. So I've got Charles H., Bella, Basso, Jill P., and Renata. So go ahead, Charles. Good morning, Amy C. What's good? Life, right? Huh. Hmm. Wow. Yeah. So um, I'd like to drill down on next day on the prospect more receptive. He had been thinking it over. Maybe you're right. God ought to be able to do anything. <clears throat> so, um, you know, Yesterday I had a conversation response, you know, I was like, it's all right. You know, um, you know, I'm going to leave the light on and the door open. And, you know, my God answers prayers because I was praying for another individual, and, and, and it's a miracle. He texted me the other day, and I said, yeah, let's do it. Let's get back in it. See, and I, and I was thinking, um, there I go again, thinking, that's my thought. A vision is having a dream while I'm awake. You know, that's the difference. Between a vision and a dream. So, um, 
know, God is so merciful. Thank you for saying that, first speaker. He's so merciful because, you know, he allowed me, he allows me self-will. Like, I could take it or leave it. You know, the spiritual toolkit's been laid out on my feet several times. And I used to be, you know what, I'm going to say I used to be weak for the church because I used to go for all the cake sales and all the fake sales. And, you know, I could show up for that stuff now and be like, you know what, that's not my food. That's not my food. It's all right. And I, and I could be a strong, I could be a power of example, not a powerful example. I'm a humble. I'm a humble veteran because it's nothing about me. I could identify with every saying in the Bill, well, Bill saying every. There is no more power in every than it is in Bill at this time. Same thing with my sponsor, his sponsor, my sponsees. There is nothing more. All it is is a little willingness to turn my power, turn my my humble self over to a loving power, right? So God, so he was a little more receptive, man. You know, that's why it's proof that the doctor opinion has to be instituted first so we can see that we got to put down the substance in order to be receptive. And with that, I'll pass. Thanks, Amy G. Thank you, Charles. Go ahead, Bella. Thank you. Good morning. My name is Bella G, and I'm a thankful recovered compulsive overeater. Thank you, Amy, for doing this service, and thank you very much, everybody on the line. Wow, such a empowering paragraph. God ought to be able to do anything. Yes, before the program, I did believe that God can do everything, and also I believed that me too. I can do also everything. I was in competition with God. I thought that God, in my mind, God was a punishing God because he didn't follow my direction, because he didn't do whatever I wanted. I did believe that I want to pass over my message, my ego message, and not God's message. And I was angry and upset and disappointed that God doesn't let me. And whatever I wanted to do, it, 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 didn't, it wasn't sure that this is what God wants me to do. And I was angry and upset at God. Thank you, God. Thank you, God, that I am not there anymore. Today, I believe in God, in a loving God, in an accepting God. And yes, today I know I am not in competition anymore. Yes, today I know that I am human and I am powerless. And today I am, I, I want to, to pass over the message that God wants, wants me to, for me to pass over. And today I am not in competition anymore. Yes, today I know that I am limited. And today I know that this program is a program of actions. Yes, I am willing to open the door to let God to come into my life. And today I know I am only a messenger. I am only a messenger. And I pass over the message that God wants me to pass and not mine. Thank you for letting me share, and I pass. Thank you, Bella. Vasa O, you are up. Yes, good morning, everyone. Thank you, Amy J., for your service, and thank, uh, and I'm grateful, Recovered Compulsive Ovida, calling from Massachusetts. 
And I was very skeptical when I came to the program. Um, I was uh, pretty angry at God and blamed God. I wasn't really blaming him by the food because I didn't know that I didn't know that I could ask for help with the food, you know. But I blamed God in other areas of my life that things happened and he wasn't there for me. And then here I come to, you know, to Overeaters Anonymous, and here it says, um, uh, God ought to be able to do anything. Uh, And uh, I really had a hard time trusting and believing in God during my life. And And somehow it kind of, you know, I was so sick and tired of being sick and tired, and I remember feeling, I saying, "Well, you know, I can't do this by myself. I've tried it for long, for so many years, so I'm ready and willing to let God." I did not think I could ask God, especially for the food addiction. You know, everybody eats out there. You know, everybody struggles with the food. You know, I mean, a lot of people that I knew, and I still know. But I was ready. I was ready, ready, and willing to surrender to, you know, with the food. That was my ever, ever surrender to God and and the program and my sponsor and the 12 steps because I did surrender into the food that I couldn't do it and manage anymore. So I gave into the food. I said there's nothing more else to do. But I have a lot of, I know a lot of people that are religious, and I, I had a religion, religion, but I did not really, I wasn't reading the Bible. I wasn't really much into the church. I'd go every once in a while. But I know women that are very much into the Bible. And I, this woman, oh, my gosh, she reads her Bible all the time, but she cannot put the food down. And she says, I can't, I, I can't or I'm not willing. I'll just wrap it up. Uh, I don't want to surrender to God, I can surrender to God with everything, but I'm not willing to surrender with the food. So I've come from different areas, you know, I've come from the church and I come from the 12 steps, so I'm just grateful that I'm learning, you know, about people and myself and others. Thank you, and I pass. Thank you, Vasa. Jill T., you are up, please. Yes, Jill T. from Pittsburgh. The word that jumps out to me today is the idea that um, the next day found the prospect more receptive. In other words, they left him in the hospital to think it over all night. They didn't try to take over the hospital um, uh, procedures and talk them out of letting them bring Bill home so that they could work on him all night. I'm learning that it's okay to sit in the middle of the discomfort in that Bill had to be left, was left alone with his thoughts all night and God worked on him there. And I'm grateful for that, but it's also hard for me to slow down to God's timing. But I'm grateful for his timing does exist in my life because here I am learning new things I've never learned before as far as uh, doing the uh, Vision for You study. And I think today my point of surrender is 
to God's timing. But that doesn't mean I fall back and get sloppy either. There are things he's asked me to do in the meantime, things that he want me, wants me to write about, things that um, truths that my sponsor is speaking into my life that I need to be attentive to and to leave the timetable to him, but just to do the footwork. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you. Thank you, Jill. Renata, it's your turn, please. Hi, Amy. Good morning. Thank you for your service. Good morning, everyone. This is Renata G., recovered compulsive in New York. Maybe you're right, he said. God ought to be able to do anything. Then he added, he sure didn't do much for me when I was trying to fight this booze racket alone. And I so relate to this paragraph. Um, you know, when I came to to the program, I had a strong belief in God. And I did believe that God could do anything. But the thing is, you know, and it says here, he sure didn't do much for me when I was trying to fight this food's racket alone. I mean, for a long time, I didn't even know I had a disease. But then after I came to program and I learned about my disease and I've learned about the steps, you know, I still was trying to fight it alone. I still try, was trying to do it my way. So I did believe that God could do anything and I would pray to God and I would just, you know, beg God because I would never take action. I would just pray and pray and beg God to help me with my disease and, you know, never do anything about it. Just keep on doing my own, whatever my own self will um, wanted to do. You know, for example, last time I picked up, I, I... I went into the bathroom because I was really struggling with the obsession. I get, I got down on my knees and I prayed and I prayed and I got up and went into the kitchen, put a piece of bread in my mouth. So, you know, I was still using my own way to fix things, which, which was to really, you know, numb myself out with the food. And then, you know, this passage made me think of page 60 where it says, you know, being convinced right, being convinced of A, B, and C, that I am a real alcoholic and could not manage my own life, that probably no human power could have relieved my alcoholism, that God could and would if he would stop. Being convinced of that, I was at step three, which that I decided, which we decided to turn our will and our life over to the care of God as I understood him. Just what do we mean by that or just what do we do? The first requirement, is that I be convinced that any life run on self-will can hardly be a success. And so until I was convinced of that and that I needed God for everything in my life, I couldn't recover. And so and the way I show God that I trust and rely on Him and not on myself anymore is by taking the steps, is by following the directions. And that's what I did. With that, I pass. Thanks. Thank you, Renata. Who else would like to share on this paragraph? Melissa. Um, all I got was Requesset. Who was before Requesset? Sally. Melissa C. Sally A. Melissa C. Requesset. I think I got Sally A, Melissa C, Rakesset, Leah. Who was there? Was one more person, I think. Sarah W. Sarah W. Kim G. We're going to go with those. Sally A, Melissa C, Rakesset, Leah, 
Sarah W. and Kim G. Okay, Sally A., please go ahead. Thanks, Amy. Good morning, Edition, for you. It's Sally A. in South Jersey. So, um, um, very interesting words from this, uh, this prospect here. The next day found the prospect more receptive. Um, you know, he's, you know, a little more open to the idea that they're going to help him get well. He had been thinking it over. Maybe you're right, he said. God ought to be able to do anything. So he, he's got a God concept at this point, some kind of a God concept. But here's, here's what I wanted to share about. Then he added, and it's very key words in my mind, he sure didn't do much for me when I was trying to fight this booze racket alone. That is one pregnant sentence, if I ever saw one. So he reminds me, first of all, of page 56, Fritz in that hospital bed. In the middle of the page of page 56, one night when confined in a hospital, he was approached by an alcoholic, we know it was Bill, who had known a spiritual experience. Our friend's gorge rose as he bitterly cried out, if there is a God, he certainly hasn't done anything for me. And here we see the same thing. We see this guy, we see his point of blockage. He sure didn't do much for me when I was trying to fight this booze racket alone. And that is amazing because it's almost like it's a convoluted sentence. He's telling us that God didn't do anything for him when he was trying to fight it alone. And that was the problem. He was trying to fight it alone. He was even the fact that he was trying to fight it is indicative that he really didn't surrender the problem to God. He did not come at, a, at step one with this sim- the simplicity of step one, made a decision. I'm sorry. We admitted we were powerless, admitted we were powerless over food in our case and that our lives were unmanageable. But here we see a clear, uh, he's telling us quite clearly, the guy's a lawyer, so I'm sure he knows how to use his words. I was trying to fight this booze racket alone. So, Maybe now he's ready to admit that he's powerless, that he needs God to do it for him. That he's going to stop fighting and he's going to stop doing it alone. And so again and again, as I work with people and as I, I, I ne- it never fails me. There's a point of being blocked. There's a point of that self-reliance. I can do this. I can do this where you are relying on your own thinking to get yourself out of this horrible box that you're in, to get your hand out of that jar, you know, like the monkey holding on tightly with the peanut, and it can't get the hand out of the jar. It will not let go. And here again we see the point of blockage. He sure didn't do much for me. He's obviously mad when I was trying to fight this booze racket alone. Thanks for letting me share. Thank you, Sally. Go ahead, Melissa C., please. Hi. Good morning, Amy. Good morning, everyone. This is Melissa C., uh, recovered compulsive overeater in New York. Um, You know, no, I could not access my higher power when I was trying to do this alone. And, um, you know, I, 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 like him, you know, I had glimpses of a belief that God could do anything, but that um, then I looked for the things that didn't go my way as evidence um, that I was cursed or abandoned by God, you know, and, and there's, there's an immaturity, um, you know, in this, well, he didn't do it for me, 
um, when I was doing it by myself and I was trying to do it on my own. You know, and that's like laying down conditions um, for how God is going to help me. And that's just not how that works. You know, I'm not the one that can lay down the conditions and tell God, (laughs) my higher power, exactly the avenue, the way that that he's going to help me. You know, it's the other way around. I have to be completely willing, um, you know, and let go of of my way, you know. Um, And I think, you know, when I, I think for people like myself who've had some really horrible losses, um, you know, I used to kind of use those losses as my evidence that that God didn't care about me. Um, and, And, you know, rather than look at the blessings that I had, um, I was really focused on my pain as proof, um, you know, and and so when I had that as my mindset, I didn't reach out for help, um, you know, and I just isolated and withdrew, you know, or I wore my fake smile and I put on a brave front, but inside I held tight to my pain and, you know, I almost treasured it, you know, I almost held on to that, Um you know, and I've come to see that God didn't remove my problem from me when I was trying to do this on my own. Um, for good reason. I was not meant to do this on my own. You know, this whole journey for recovery for me has been about connecting with others, finally having authentic relationships um, with others. You know, this was likely precisely how I was best meant to live, but you know, I had to, I think about that leap of faith, you know, from, to cross from bridge to shore. And for me, that meant putting my faith um, in in God and in others, you know. When I stopped trying to fix this and fight this problem on my own, um, I became open and I took the suggestions offered. I had to lean on others for support, you know, and, and so... The same way that I've leaned on others for support, and that's helped me get recovered. Um, now I have to continue to be uh, someone that others can lean on as well. Um, you know, and so, no, we're not able to do this on our own because we're not meant to do this on our own. Um, the more I rely on others and my higher power, the actually the stronger I grow. You know, it's, it's our weakness um, that binds us. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you. Thank you, Orkesset. Leah M., please go ahead. That was Melissa C.? Oh, I beg your pardon. That was Melissa C. <laughs> no Orkesset. Yeah, no go problem. ahead. I need glasses. Uh, thank you, Amy. No problem. This is Orkesset Z., recovered compulsive over at Eater in California. And I know I've mentioned this before. When I came into program 17 years ago, I had no God. I didn't think about God. I didn't understand what the big... Um, discussion was, is there a God? Isn't there a God? What does it matter? You know, it just, I didn't want anything to do with that. And I wanted to lose weight. I wanted to finally, finally have some peace around my body, my eating, my weight. And so when they told me, you have to pray to God, ask God, and get on your knees, ask God in the morning for a day of abstinence, thank God at the end of the day for the abstinence. I thought, wow, I can do that. That's no big deal. You know, those are the magic words. I just didn't realize it. Now I know the magic words. I'll just say that, and and I'll say that I turn my will and my life over to God. I'll say that every day, and then I'll be abstinent, and I'll be recovered, and 
life will be beautiful. But it didn't happen that way. I struggled. I struggled with abstinence for 15 years, getting abstinence, staying abstinent, getting abstinence, staying abstinent for 15 years until I got to the end of my rope, until there was nothing else. And then I started thinking, well, maybe there is a God after all. Just like Bill D. Well, maybe there is a God. I see other people believe in God and they have good lives and have recovered. And so that helped a bit. But only when I really got to the end of my rope where I had nothing left to try, I knew I was doomed. I was absolutely doomed to this miserable life of food, being addicted to food, if I didn't, if I didn't find God. And so I started to believe there is a God. There has to be a God because if there isn't a God, then I'm doomed. I have no chance of any, ever having a peaceful, uh, serene life. And when I saw that others, others believed in God, others believed with their heart and soul that there was a God and that God was helping them that made me believe too. I know there is a God. And God, I know that you are going to help me. I'm going to do everything that I think you want me to do, everything. And I know that I will get the help I need from you because I am powerless. I can't do this alone. I've tried my whole life to do this alone. Even 15 years in program, I tried to do it alone. But I can't do it. I need, I need you, God. I need your power. I don't have the power. And so when I fully fully embrace God, my God, my personal God, fully embrace my personal God, then I was able to actually surrender and become recovered going through the 12 steps. So thank you. I pass. Thank you, Rakesha. Leah M., you are up. Thanks so much, Amy. Next day found the prospect more receptive. You know, I noticed the pace, you know, as we study uh, this history, um, you know, uh, step one and two are acknowledgement steps. You know, the disease has beat him to a pulp. Uh, Bill D. was hospitalized eight times within a six-month period. Um, you know, does his idea of handling his disease on his own work? <laughs> the answer is no, and perhaps he's getting the message, you know, uh, Bill W. and Dr. Bob are offering him the idea of needing a higher power, needing, uh, you know, that he can't do it alone. And and this is step one and two. You know, step one and two are acknowledgement steps. They are conclusions of the mind. We talk about them. We study it to understand uh, the problem, which is powerlessness, and the solution, you know, which is power. But the big book and the way they are, uh, the technique they're utilizing with B, with uh, Bill D is that you know there's no instructions for doing steps one and and uh, step two. You know the disease will beat you into a state of reasonableness. <laughs> okay, now you're done. Okay, have you been able to come up with any me- methods or any remedies or any way to escape the obsession of the mind? And you know the answer is no. You know, for those of us that are real compulsive overeaters or real alcoholics, the answer is no. Step two is not even mentioned as a step in the text of the big book, other than in the list of steps on page 59. So, you know, he's resigned from the debating society. He has stopped arguing. Uh, There's no confusion here for him. There's no difficulty Already the program of recovery, so to speak, is having its way with him because old ideas and old attitudes and old emotions are now being cast aside. 
the idea that he could do it by himself, the idea that his intellect would, uh, you know, conquer alcoholism. All that is being cast aside, and new ideas are beginning to dominate Bill D. Um, he sure didn't do much for me when I was trying to fight this booze racket alone. He's coming to the conclusion of the mind. Again, we don't work steps one and two. They're conclusions of the mind that we draw based on experience. That's why the big book says, you know what? Don't pronounce anyone an alcoholic. They actually invite the alcoholic to drink. And when you're convinced, when you're through, when you're done trying out your personal control, there is a way out. There's a way to live without having to drink yourself into oblivion. But you've got to not drink to experience that way of life. Uh, and not drinking is the beginning of the recovery process. The beginning of the recovery process is not drinking, and then you're ready to embark on the spiritual journey. And with that, I pass. Thank you. Thank you, Leah. Sarah W. Good morning, Amy. Thank you for your service. Good morning, Vision, to you, Sarah W., a very grateful, recovered, compulsive overeater. Um. You know, when I share, I share about my feeling about what's been read. And for me, what I understand in my heart is that my lack of trust and my um, my sensitivity led me to see, you know, whether it be atrocities in my own life or other people's and feeling so um, removed from life. And, you know, so the the whole idea of the principles of the first two steps, which is hope and and really trust or faith, uh, commitment, uh, is what comes into my mind. And that's the the place where I have to come to. I have to um, believe that a higher power can restore me to sanity and that, um, and then I can make the decision, uh, which doesn't mean I've done anything. You know, the actual conclusion of the decision comes through working the fourth through the ninth, through the ninth step. But the thing that comes into my mind is uh, a little story that I heard about Fred Rogers, and, I, and I, it means so much to me, so I just thought I would share it. Uh, when Fred was a little boy, um, he, and I think I saw it on the news, I can't remember where I heard it, but um, he w- was watching the atrocities that that were occurring and that had happened in Nazi Germany. And he said to his mother, Mom, how could all these terrible things happen? And she said to him, but Fred, look at all the people helping. And I think, you know, um, if I really thought that God did things to people, um, you know, I was a labor and delivery nurse. I saw babies that were born very, very, um, you know, that died or you know, that that we're going to be so severely disabled, all the things that we see in life and in our own lives, the the sadness that we sometimes um, uh, walk through. But, you know, the thing that I love, and I'm a bit of an agnostic too, you know, I love the the part where it says on page 55, we found the great reality deep within us. In the last analysis, it is only there that he may be found. It was so with us. And and for me, you know, like it says on 53, you know, God is either everything or nothing. You know, that's how I have to look at it. But I can't say that, that bad things happen because of God. 
I, I, I just can't go there. And that's such an important piece for me. And I think for many others that I've sponsored have struggled with it because of that too. So what, what I say today is we are given free will. You know, we have an arm. Our arm and our hand are attached, and we have this thought process. Are we going to pick up the next bite, or are we not? You know, we have a decision Time. to make. And with that, I pass. Thank you so much for allowing me to share. Thank you, Sarah. Kim G. Good morning, all. My name is Kim G, and I'm a recovered compulsive overeater from South Jersey. He sure, he sure didn't do much for me when I was trying to fight this booze racket alone. You know, I think some, you know, my experience is, you know, those of us that are religious, you know, it's, it's hard for us because we think we got this. We got this, this God thing. And for those who are not religious, the thing is, no way I'm doing this. But either way, it's a block because we have to acknowledge that whatever we've been doing on, at either end of the scale, it hasn't been working for us. And I heard this great analogy the other week. You know, when, when, in religion, what they do is they tell you, here are a list of principles, and it is your job to live up to them. But in AA, the spiritual life, what it tells us is you don't have the power to live up to them. That's my problem, lack of power. It's not knowing what the right thing to do is. I don't have the power to do it on my own. So I just want to bring us to a couple things the big book tells us that because if I think I can simply say, oh, I'm supposed to act with courage and integrity and all these principles that are associated with the steps, I would have done that years ago. So let's, on page 62, it says, many of us had moral and philosophical convictions galore, but we could not live up to them even though we would have liked to. Neither could we reduce our self-centeredness much by wishing or trying on our own power. So that's the reason. Religion can tell me all these wonderful things, but if I am blocked from that power, it doesn't matter. And then on page 44, they slam that home and they introduce step two to us because step two is not about a belief in God. Step two is do you need that power? So at the bottom of page 44, if a mere code of morals or a better philosophy of life were sufficient to overcome alcoholism, many of us would have recovered long ago. But we found that such codes and philosophies did not save us, no matter how much we tried. We could wish to be moral. We could wish to be philosophically comforted. In fact, we could will these things with all our might. But the needed power wasn't there. Our human resources, as marshaled by the will, were not sufficient. They failed us utterly. So I was told before I came to OA with, about my food, well, put a picture on the fridge, and that way you're fat and you're not going to want to go in the fridge. Why don't you just write your food down and commit to not eat what you didn't write down? Why don't you just not keep the food in the house, and that way you won't eat it? But even coming into OA, I'm told don't drink, go to meetings. Meeting makers make it. Choose not to drink today. The big one in my area is service is swimming. Like attending an intergroup meeting would stop me from eating. So I have to understand what my problem is. My problem is I don't have access to our power. My problem is lack of power is my dilemma. So it doesn't matter if you come from the atheist background, the agnostic background, or the religious background. If you can't stop eating, the problem is you don't have the power on your own. And the 12 steps will teach you how to do that. Thank you. Thank you, Kim G. Would anyone else like to share on this paragraph, please, before we move on? I might have heard Paula there earlier. I'm not sure, or was it Chrissy? But 
Anyone like to share before we move on to the next paragraph? All righty then. Katie F., if you could please read the next paragraph on the third day. Katie, are you there? Press star one to unmute, sorry. Katie. I'm 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 here now. Sorry. Oh, great. Thank you. I was pressing the wrong buttons. Wrong meeting. Um. Okay. On the I'm Katie, a recovered compulsive overeater in Virginia. On the third day, the lawyer gave his life to the care and direction of his creator and said he was perfectly willing to do anything necessary. His wife came, scarcely daring to be hopeful, though she thought she saw something different about her husband already. He'd begun to have a spiritual experience. And I'm Katie, a recovered um, compulsive. Anyway, um, I already said that. So I... um, I just can relate so much to this paragraph because I came into OA um, and tried and tried and tried to uh, work this program with um, the take what you want and leave the rest, uh, trying half measures, trying to be, um, you know, really uh, strict and honest for a while and then um, slipping into old behaviors but not telling anybody about it and um, just deceptive, deceptive, deceptive. And, you know, I could talk the talk, but it was not, um, it was not carried out in my life. So um, when I did meet some people who were actually following the big book and giving me clear-cut direction, um, I did feel different that first day. I did feel like something has shifted in my thinking. And, but I didn't dare to hope, just like this wife says, you know, um, I didn't, I didn't blast, blast it uh, out to everyone that I was, um, that this was it, which is what I used to do. I used to say, you know, okay, I found the answer and want to tell everybody all about it. I, um, you know, it was between me and my sponsor and my higher power and this new group that I was with and, you know, <clears throat> I didn't, um, I didn't realize that um, I had put on the food for the last time at, the, at that time. It took me a long time to realize that I really was changing and that I did not have to go back to that world. I didn't um, understand that it could really be over. I was um, so convinced in my mind that I was going to have a temporary respite, that I was going to lose the weight and then um, I wouldn't need to do all this stuff, you know, and that my life would be perfect and I would meet the man of my dreams and I would get married and I would have children and I would be happily ever after. And, you know, it, it took me a long time to understand that it's, it, you know, it, that this is just the beginning. And that's where this man is, is that he um, has turned his will and his life over and, you know, I just picture um, being put on a raft and saying, okay, you're on this raft now and we're going to be here with you and you're floating and you're floating further and further and further away from your old life and you don't ever have to go back to it. And, you know, that's the hope that we have through, um, through these steps is that, you know, if it says 
um, in the preceding paragraph, he sure didn't do much for me when I was trying to fight this booze racket alone. Well, this is what the surrender process is, is you're not, you're not trying to fight it alone. You are holding on um, to this life preserver, to this raft, and God is with you in whatever comes, and you don't ever have to go back to that awful life with that path. Thank you, Katie. My Amy, name is oh, Amy. Larry. Uh, yeah, Larry, I got you down. Larry W., and I'm going to dive in here as well. My name is Amy G., and I'm a recovered compulsive overeater from Maryland. Thank you, everyone, for all you have shared. What an awesome meeting. You know, I love how this process has been laid out. I mean, on page um, 157, you know, the dude is interrupting everybody. Like, okay, I, I can't turn this over because, you know, God's not done anything for me. I mean, like, just right in there, denial, delusion, defiance, you know. The next day, he's had a chance to think about it, and he's thinking, maybe you're right. You know, God may not have done anything, but my way certainly isn't working. And then by the third day, you know, he's perfectly willing to do anything necessary. You know, this is a program of ego reduction. This is what's happened here. Beaten and pummeled by this disease, you know, he's letting go of old ideas, understanding the three pertinent ideas that it talks about on page 60 that we were alcoholic and could not manage our own lives, that probably no human power could relieve us of our alcoholism or compulsive overeating, and that God could or would if he were sought. And then he comes to step three. He becomes willing to turn his will and his life over. And I love the word sought on page 60. And the difference here with this guy on the third day is that he is now seeking another idea other than his own because he knows that of his own, I mean, I can speak from my own experience that of my own that I was going to die of this disease. I was completely and absolutely and perfectly willing to do anything. I mean, my prayer used to be when I was, quote, boiled as an owl or, or drunk as a skunk on food was God save me, God help me. But frothy emotional appeal seldom suffices. And that's all I was doing because I was asking God to do something for me. I was asking God to save me without any effort on my part. I meant it. I wanted to stop throwing food down my throat, but I was unwilling to do what was necessary. My ego had not been reduced enough. I had not been in enough pain. And that's what they say. When the pain of where you are gets bad enough, you'll move. And when finally, quote, on my third day, I realized that I'd come to the end of myself, I became perfectly willing to do there was anything was necessary. These two guys, Bill and Bob, laid out a message that carried depth and weight. They shared what it was like, what happened, and what it's like now, and then they were laid out the rest of the instructions. It took those three days, whatever it takes us to get here, to be beaten and pummeled into a state of reasonableness. And then we come perfectly willing because then my prayer became instead of God just save me with frothy emotional appeal, it became God save me because I cannot save myself. And at that point, I become willing because if I can't save myself, please, God, somebody out there better help me and it better be a power greater than myself. And those two people standing in front of that man on that third day were people who had a power greater than him because they had solved the drink problem. 
And when you all showed me how it was through these instructions in these first 164 pages, you showed me a power, than, a power greater than myself because you had solved the compulsive overeating problem. And I wanted that with my heart and my soul because I knew I could not save myself. And with that, I'll pass. Um, I heard Larry Kay. And was there anybody else up there? Well, Larry, we're going to go with you. Apology. Apology. Okay, so I could probably squeeze you guys in. So, Larry Kay, go ahead, please. Thanks, Amy. Appreciate it. You know, the, uh, Larry Kay, recovered compulsive overeater. You know, so here's Bill D. And, and he, had, he had begun to have a spiritual awakening. And, um, you know, this was the trajectory that he was on, you know, and it's, it's funny, in Appendix 2, in the, uh, in the back of the, the big book, we're, we're provided with a more thorough understanding of what this phenomenon that we call this spiritual awakening looks like. You know, and there's, look, there's some type, there's some people that have, you know, first, you're going to have a personality change sufficient to, to bring about recovery from, from alcoholism, or in our case, compulsive overeating. But we also learn that some people may experience a type of sudden revolutionary change. Maybe Bill D had begun to experience that type of, of uh, overwhelming God consciousness followed at once by a a vast change in feeling and outlook. But, you know, in my case, we, we, and thank goodness, we also learned that some people experience something more in the order of what psychologist William James described as of the educational variety, you know, where that spiritual transformation unfolds a little bit more slowly over time. And that was the case for me. But, you know, regardless of, of your own trajectory, you know, um, the essentials were there. Surrender, in the face of powerlessness and a willingness to make a decision, willingness to make a decision. And we, of course, we have 12 steps in which this transformation occurs. But as we can see with early pioneers like Bill D and others, you know, the outcome of the restoration is the same for anyone who's willing to fully surrender to a power greater than themselves. And, um, you know, interestingly, his wife noticed the change. And the big book informs us that quite often, you know, uh, friends uh, of the newcomer are aware of this difference before he is himself. And, you know, on page 77, I'm reminded that the real purpose is to be a fit or is to, excuse me, is to fit ourselves to be of maximum service to God and to the people about us. My real purpose was never to be thin, judgmental, intolerant, and self-serving. That would be staying stuck in a state of insanity. I don't want to be there anymore, and by the grace of God, I'm not. I may be thin, thank you, God, but that's not my purpose. It's to be a fit maximum service to others. So with that, I will hand the baton to Paula D. Thanks. Thank you, Larry. Go ahead, Paula. And thank you. Thank you, Amy, for your service today. Uh, This would be Paula D. I am a compulsive overeater, and today I am recovered. We look at 158. We look at the man coming to, coming apart, it seems, and yet being brought together again. And I, and I, as you read, and I listened, and I listened to all the beautiful speakers, we see here on the third day the lawyer gave his life to the care and direction of his creator and said he was perfectly willing to do anything necessary. And I want to go back to page 12. 
Thus was I convinced. And this is Bill. Bill, who was there with this man? And his name was also Bill. Thus was I convinced that God is concerned with us humans when we want him enough. At long last, I saw, I felt, I believed. Skills and pride and prejudice fell from my eyes. A new world came into view. And we see at the last line that we read, she saw something different. And what was read, yes, on the spiritual experience, is that's what it says. They often see something different. She saw something different about her husband already. He had begun. He had begun to have a spiritual experience. Here we see an ending of one life and a beginning of next. And here we see the power of God. But it's begin with the lawyer gave. Gave his life to the care and direction of the, his creator. I thank you for this time given to me. I thank you here also for this beautiful, beautiful this passages that were read, these paragraphs that come to life, life for so many, as for me. Thank you again. And with that, I do pass. Thank you, Paula. And on that note, I'd like to thank everyone who has shared. We will now close with the reading of the big book on page 164, followed by the serenity prayer. Will Devorah S. take us out, please? Devorah, press star one to unmute. Yes. Good morning, everyone. Hi, my name is Devorah S. from New Jersey, recovered. Thank you, God. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we only know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously, you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right, and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you shall, and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then. <laughs>